corruption in the cabinet, wholesale environmental destruction in the West, and a president who is rumored to be a serial sexual predator. Sound familiar? Well, it shouldn't. I'm Barry Tone, and this is Low Heat, the Slate podcast dedicated to proving that the past sucked almost as much as the present does. Brought to you by Better Head Online Therapy Service. This season, Low Heat will focus on Teapot Dome, the most famous crisis of the first 70% of the 20th century. Helping us untangle this massive greed, privilege, and toxic masculinity is Dr. Dabney Nair, best-selling author of Warren G. Harding and American Embarrassment. So, Dr. Nair, what can you tell us about Warren G. Harding, the president who died before his role as an amoral corporate shill could be exposed? Well, Barry, I learned while researching my book that Warren G. Harding was a man of great contradictions. He was successful but stupid, persuasive but inarticulate, and shrewd but gullible. In short, Warren G. Harding's combination of confidence and ineptitude made the Harding White House a fertile breeding ground for political skullduggery. And how did such an unqualified man become president? You could ask that about a lot of presidents, but Harding was the first president to benefit from modern marketing techniques. The Harding campaign sold him to voters like he was laundry detergent or toothpaste, an interchangeable commodity invested with imaginary value by ingenious but unscrupulous admin exploiting the nascent mass media. I see. Hey listeners, are you feeling unfulfilled? Is something stopping you from achieving your dreams? Exactly. That's the kind of soulless hucksterism I'm talking about. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Nair, uh, I'm doing the plug for our sponsor, uh, you know, Betterhead Online Therapy. Oops. Wow. Me and my big mouth, huh? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History. For people who can't afford Hamilton. Today, President 29, Warren G. Harding. Thank you for enjoying DB Comedy Presents The Electables. If you would like to keep supporting us, please consider a donation or tip. Go to fracturedatlas.org the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy Presents the Electables, and leave us a gift. Your donation is tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law and will be used to keep us on the air and in the algorithms. And make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode for the world premiere of DB Comedy's Deregulate! Thank you. Well, for some of you listening, it may have been a little while. And for those of us recording, it actually has been. But we're back. Yay. Yay. So just to flip things around a little bit, DB Comedy is here representing me, with me, Joe. Me as me, Paul. Mm -hmm. Tommy. I'm Sandy. I'm Tommy. I'm back. Back to the talkbacks. I'm Sylvia. And I'm Patrick. And back from the wilds of Michigan. Hi, everybody. I'm James, historical consultant. Hello, all. Chelsea. I actually do feel like there's a slight little laying down of the energy level, which may be appropriate, given that when we last spoke to you, we had this sort of wild, crazy, eventful, wacky presidency of uh, Woodrow Wilson. And, uh, you think wacky, <laughs> you think Woodrow Wilson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, alliteration, wacky Woodrow Wilson. Wacky Woody. Mm -hmm. wacky the original Woody World Wide Web. Wacky uh, careful how you what? say that, wacky Woody. We're talking about wacky Woodrow Wilson of World War One. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow. But then we come to the next president, speaking of wax and coming and such. Bring us to our next president, which is... Warren G. Harding.
Regulators! <laughs> Let me, I will uh, start the conversation with the provocative and probably unsupportable question, because like I always do, Warren G. Harding, from the very beginning of his administration, was a puppet of the oil interests. Yeah, I would buy it based on, you know, and look, hindsight with the Teapot Dome scandal, but I think more than one of those Ohio presidents who surrounds himself with corrupt people and never looks into anything that they're doing. Yeah. So if he's a puppet, he's he's a very relaxed puppet. I would, yeah, I would counter that the corrupt people surrounded themselves with Harding Mm. and then... um, made a deal with the oil interest because Harding's puppeteer was one Harry Doherty, the Republican boss of Ohio, who had bought, who had, you know, organized McKinley's front porch campaign and figured that he had another sucker on the line and he uh, pretty much pushed Warren Harding into the presidency. He was the, he was a quintessential dark horse candidate uh, he had an undistinguished career in the Senate, so he was uh, unknown. But the oil interests were looking for someone who would, you know, either look the other way or actively hand over all of the oil fields that the Navy had secured uh, during World War One for military preparedness. And Warren Harding was just that man. Well, I just want to chime in because I did a little reading on the Teapot Dome that mm-hmm. uh, there's there's good evidence that he was unaware of the deal that Albert Fall cut. But there's, I would say, also pretty good evidence that he would not have cared based on all of his other actions. that He would have <laughs> fully supported it, just that he didn't know about that specific deal. I'm going to push back a little bit on that from some of the reading I was doing, particularly in in the run up to his becoming president because the stuff I'm reading and we have seen this before in a few presidents was that he was just really likable. Everybody seemed to like him. He wanted to be liked. My favorite story of which is the newspaper that he that he ran uh, in Marion, Ohio. The account I'm reading is that Ohio politicians of both parties absolutely loved the paper because he published everything they said about all of the politicians without ever being critical about any of them. So he just kind of built up a lot of bonhomie and uh, goodwill and just everybody liked him. And gosh darn, he wanted to be liked by everybody too. Is there a difference though between being a puppet and being a really nice guy that everybody liked? When you're the person, when you're the agent of being liked, I think, apparently was. Can I almost go? Can we put this almost more simply? Here's my question. Okay. Was Warren Harding dumb? Was he just not that intelligent of a guy? So this gets back to my my point that he's just your huckster uncle, right? He's just like a guy who like floats from business scheme to business scheme and I don't think he's a puppet or I don't think he's dumb I think he just like floated through life and was like and now I'm president I I think James you're also hitting on something that is deeply embedded in the American character which is that to be likable and trusted here you're better off being kind of dumb or at least appearing as such And to also be apparently, at least for the time, an attractive stud. Because as we get to the, people are laughing online, but again, doing a little bit of research into the 1920 election. He was no Franklin Pierce. Come on now. Well, maybe not. Another dark horse (laughs) candidate. Dark dark horse, bad boy. But um, also, like, you do know that you need to cue Katy Perry's Dark Horse now, because every time anyone <laughs> says Dark Horse candidate, that's what I hear. Uh-huh. We can do it when around when around the radio. We'll have the license for that, but not Thank for the you. podcast. That is true. That is true. <laughs> the governor, the Jimmy Cox, was the Democratic governor of Ohio running in 1920 oh, against the Republican senator from Ohio for the presidency. 
Sandy, Joe, what the hell is it with that state? You're well, Ohio can't get their act together. Well, he, well, Harding was the last of them. There have been no more Ohio presidents since Warren Harding. So, admittedly, he he did kind of uh, he did sort <laughs> he of burn the bridge. Yeah. yeah, Ohio was like, we are sorry. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> we apologize. As penance, but, we will send no one else. Yeah. If I'm remembering, General Grant was the first one, and uh, his administration was also pretty plagued by scandal. I think we just, if we learned anything, it's that the Ohio presidents, you know, they're going to take graft. Okay, have all the Ohio presidents been Republican? All those elected, yeah. they were all Republicans. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so and I, I think it was I think it was just that the Ohio Republican Party was a dominant force in the National Republican Party because they could basically go to the National Republican Party and be like, you win our state, you win the presidency, mm-hmm. pick our guy. And everyone just kind of pasted themselves to that person. And so when that person gets elected, it, it's it's him and his literal Ohio gang that comes with him. I think a lot of it has to do with the kingmaker, Mark Hanna, as well. There was a yeah. lot of money in Ohio Republican Party. Again, yeah. Rockefeller came from Ohio. And mm-hmm. The kingmaker in this instance was not Hanna, but it was uh, Harry Doherty, who would go on to be the attorney general who uh, facilitated the wholesale transfer yeah. of oil lands from, <laughs> you know, from the Department of the Navy to the Department of the Interior. Class, I would like you to welcome Miss Buckeye today. Good afternoon, Miss Buckeye. Hi, I am Miss Buckeye. Fayette Kashakton Tuscarawas. And because being literate with literacy is important to my platform, I am here as the guest judge for your best metal school tributes in verse to those presidents that called Ohio home. Sweet. Really? Pay attention, you two. The student with the winning entry will receive prizes from two of Ohio's favorites of middle schoolers everywhere. Orville's own Smucker's Jams and Jellies, and hamburgers from Wendy's in Columbus. Yum! Mm-mm. And so, without further ado, Miss Sandy, let's hear the first poem. Okay. Well, the first poem is from Patrick, and it is called, William Henry Harrison Was a President. Patrick? This poem is longer than William Henry Harrison was president. He didn't wear a coat, that's why. The end. Don't worry. That's it? Don't worry. Next, we have Patrick again with a poem about Ulysses S. Grant. He didn't just win the Civil War. There once was a general named Grant who won a war and then people did chant. You could be president, too, if you really wanted to. So he did. And he was better than a plant. May I continue, Miss Sandy? I have other poems. How many do you have, Patrick? As many as I need to win. I like those hamburgers. What ambition. Reminds me of when I was coming up through the pageant world. I was everything from Miss Peanut Butter Buckeye to Miss Cincinnati Chili. Thank you, Miss Buckeye. I I can recite my poem about Rutherford B. Hayes, a Clara Hugh to Lemons, or my James Garfield poem, using each letter of his name in a line. Oh, oh, uh, what about the poem about William McKinley? Move over, Garfield. Wow. I noticed you didn't list a poem about Grover Cleveland. He's not even from Ohio. Shh, don't shame the capital, Sally. Well, then, if we are done. Uh, I'm, I'm not done. Uh, how about my William Howard Taft found poem, Big Taft, a poem found on dictionary.com. <clears throat> Fat, fatty, chubby, obese, greasy, portly, round, softic, buttery, uh-huh. thick, stocky, gross. I but see. not Smuckers or Wendy's. We love you, Smuckers and Wendy's. Oh, thank William, you. William Howard Taft. My goodness. Okay, Patrick, uh, let's see if anyone else wants to win the poem contest. Sally? I chose to write a poem about Warren Harding, the last Ohio president. It is entitled, A Love Letter to President Warren Harding. This is also a found poem in the Library of Congress written by Carrie Fulton Phillips, 
a special friend. Really? I give you the most tribute that a woman can. There was no cheating. We both understood. We were both married. No lies were told. We felt the sense of family obligations. Happily. No. Miss Sandy. I liked where that one was going. Sally. Really? You know that was not a poem, but an actual letter written to the president by, well, by a woman that was not his wife. So is that poem still under consideration? No. No. Uh, well, I believe that the winner of the competition and the hamburgers and jelly is Patrick. Hooray! Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, Patrick. Sally, are you okay? Mm-hmm. This is so unlike you to just let Patrick win. I'm playing the long game. I figure Patrick is going to gorge on all that food he'll win. Oh, you got that right. And that way, he'll eat and eat and eat and get fatter and fatter and fatter until one day he won't be here and will be forgotten, like all the presidents from Ohio. That, wow, that's dark. Sure is. And then you'll be left. Yep. Enjoy your food, Patrick. I'll even help you. Respect, Sally. Here are your certificates. Yay. And thank you for coming again, Miss Buckeye. Thank you, Miss Sandy. You look a little sad, Miss Sandy. <sighs> Just wondering how I could have taught you to do something so cynical. I'll be fine. Oh, and thank you to the Ohio presidents for being so blah. That's right, kids. For the pride of the Buckeyes. Coming out of a war, coming out of a pandemic, coming out of a whole series of, you know, coming into uh, so bad that people decided, at least in theory, to try to not drink, uh, (laughs) then someone who, again, nice, good looking guy and all he did was just supposedly hang out on a porch, another Ohio presidential tradition. And uh, are the porches just much nicer in Ohio? Because I mean, his house, it has a nice porch. Mm-hmm. Been there, Chelsea? Yeah, full on. No, veranda, I have not. Or... But uh, I have seen photos. It has like Garfield a nice little like circular nice. area. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the Garfield porch is very nice and designed in just that way. Uh, um, you, you've heard it here. If you want your child to grow up to be the president, just have a nice porch. porch. Totally, totally. I think, I mean, honestly, I think Warren Harding is just a compromise, right? Like, he's just the candidate who, after what, like a night of smoking cigars in a room at the Blackstone Hotel, Chicago reference, mm-hmm. uh, and right on the 10th ballot, they're like, this guy, I guess. Like, what could be worse? Always well, an important question to ask when nominating presidential candidates. What would be worse than this guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of, the, again, as, as, as folks were casting their lot in the Republican Party as to who the president should be, one of the factors that they talked about was it's the first election women were voting and being men, they decided we need to find someone that the ladies will like and who better than just sort of, again, the, the, I mean, the by, standard by of the num- era. By sheer numbers, women did like Harding, at least <laughs> within his own life. <laughs> I have to wonder who was his he was running against if he was the hottie in the race. Oh, let's his look. name was Jimmy Cox, which you think would hey. so we had Cox and Harding. Hey. <laughs> Wait, there's a joke here, but I can't figure it out. Um, it reminds me of James James will appreciate this. At Albion College, we had three professors whose offices were all next to each other. Jeffrey Cox, Marcy Sachs. And Wesley Dick. <laughs> Cock sack and oh, Dick. Wow. 
That's all on one side of the history arm. hallway. Yeah. It should be noted oh, that they call it his story for a reason. Hey. Oh. Good afternoon, and welcome to my home. I am your hostess, Lotta Schilling. As you know, the 19th Amendment has granted us women the right to vote. So the Republican Party has organized a series of informal gatherings where they can introduce their candidates to ordinary housewives like you. Housewife? I'm a working girl. I've no doubt your shorthand is impeccable, darling. It's not ours to judge. You're only saying that because she's Lily White. I beg your pardon. My name is Fanny Shaker. These are sure some swank digs you got here on Park Avenue, Mrs. Schilling. So, is this dreamboat standing next to you, Mr. Lada Schilling? Oh, oh, no, no. It is my great honor to introduce to you the Republican candidate for president, Mr. Warren G. Harding. Howdy, gals. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, such familiarity. Does he think this is a saloon and not a respectable home? We should be so lucky, darling. Are there any questions for Mr. Harding? Plenty. Mr. Harding, my name is Rena Sands. I live in Harlem. I am only able to vote for or against you because my parents left Atlanta 40 years ago in search of a better life. My people have been the Republican Party's most loyal voters since the Civil War. Now the Ku Klux Klan is raising crosses all over the South and the Democratic Party is handing them the matches. Is the Republican Party willing to denounce the Klan, lynching, poll tax, and other barbaric Jim Crow practices? America's present need is not heroics, but healing. Not nostrums, but normalcy. Not revolution, but restoration. Not agitation, but adjustment. Not surgery, but serenity. Mr. Harding, I am a writer. Normalcy is not a word. Oh, it's more than a word. It's a concept. And one I'm sure we can all embrace. Are there any more questions? If I may, Mr. Harding, I'm Maeve Dunnett from County Cork by way of Hell's Kitchen. This Mr. Coolidge running with broke up a policeman strike in Boston. My Tommy is the member of the Gotham Garda. Do you object to a working man's right to join a labor union? I am ready to acclaim the highest standard of pay, but I would be blind to the responsibilities that mark this fateful hour if I did not caution the wage earners of America that mounting wages and decreased production can lead only to industrial and economic ruin. What on earth did this man just say? Oh, so much, Mrs. Dunnett, so much. Oh, he supports the rights of workers to join trade associations, but that any illegal strikes or other work stoppages will be met with swift reprisal. <clears throat> Who else has a question? I've nothing but. Hello, Mr. Harding. My name is Alice Gonquin. I live somewhere on the Upper West Side. Most cab drivers know my address, so I haven't bothered to remember it. This country is on the verge of an idiotic experiment called prohibition. You're not fool enough to think it'll work, are you, darling? The world needs to be reminded that all human ills are not curable by legislation, and that quantity of statutory enactment and excess of government offer no substitute for quality of citizenship. Well... That was pish in search of posh. No, if by that you mean that Mr. Harding just articulated that prohibition may be federal law, but enforcement is a local issue, then I suppose you're right. <clears throat> Any more questions? So what do you do for kicks, Mr. Harding? I like to take Jerry out and show him around. And Jerry is your dog, I assume? Oh, he's quite the hound, I assure you. <clears throat> Well then, ladies, what shall I tell the Republican National Committee is your general impression of Mr. Harding? He's just a load of malarkey. He'd be a catastrophe as president. He makes me so sleepy. I want my pajamas, darling. I think he's the bee's knees. Just the cuts, pajamas, 
and the bee's knees. Ah, well then, they will be pleased to hear it. Refreshments in the drawing room. Does anyone want a tart? Sure, I'll take her. Oh, Mr. Harding, you scamp. The suffragists fought like devils so women could vote for the likes of this? Now I know why my father complained about risking his life. So he could vote for a series of Ohio Republicans? Anyone up for a drink, darlings? I know a speakeasy where the password is disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. Same here. To give uh, the women of America just a little bit more credit than we are currently giving them in this very first election, Harding was supposedly handsome as a Ro- handsome as a Greek god or a Roman god. He looked like a Roman emperor or whatever. But he also had a very down-to-earth, likable, relatable wife. Florence? Florence? Florence. Not likable enough, Mm -hmm. apparently. Who Uh, left her husband. Bye. She liked him enough that she pursued him. Literally. Even though her her father was one of his worst, biggest enemies in Marion. They were big political enemies. And here we have motive. It's always (laughs) coming back to, I'm giving my dad the shaft Mm -hmm. by going out for a guy he hates. Her father screamed at Harding in the middle of the street at one point, don't you dare marry my daughter. Even though the daughter had already been divorced and had a 10-year-old child by the time she was going after Warren. And uh, Paul, you, Paul, you were, we were talking before about the other thing that her father supposedly said. Starting the rumor. Yeah, that he had a really big ego. Mm. No, mm. that he was a uh, of um, send the children out of the room if you hear them. He might have been part black. Uh, there was a rumor yeah. that he was of African descent, yeah. which. Oop totally made up at, but then and it was ignored but then it was brought up again during his campaign so mm-hmm. people use that rumor against him during the campaign even though it was never proven to be substantiated true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 23 and me was not uh, a thing <laughs> no but i mean harding might have been lucky that people could not trace their lineage at the time he did though he produced well i don't know if he actually traced the gene it could have been a forgery if Harding was part black, it, I mean, that is something that most black, just from telling me if I'm wrong, Sylvia, but I don't think that would make a lot of black people proud being able to claim Warren G. Harding as one of your own. <laughs> nah, we're, we're good with Carol Channing. Yeah. So there you go. Aren't we all? But uh, Harding did produce a gene, his genealogy uh, going back to his, his family was fairly old stock and he was able allegedly to prove that all of his ancestry was white. And it was all right. I I really think Harding represents this, you know, we've seen this a couple of times already with other presidents, right? This search by Americans for something, this this kind of like back and forth, right? So in World War One, America has put themselves out there onto the international stage and has emerged victorious. Like we had to save Europe's asses. Can we say asses? Butts? I'll say butts, and you can choose which it's, one you it's, like. It's a podcast. Don't worry. There are no rules, Chelsea. There are. Thank no you. Rules. This is an NPR. Um, we like big asses, and we cannot lie. And so, right, we we have. And we've lost so, right, the lost generation. We've lost so many um, young Americans. And it was a really traumatic time for America as a country. And that loss and that to see that kind of destruction that World War One, because we really didn't talk about how awful World War One was. We only talked about it in the context of, of Woodrow Wilson. But all that to say that America is looking for, right, the rebound, right? They're looking for the normal, like, who is the most normal guy that we can turn to now at this point? Oh, how about this insurance salesman from Ohio? Is he not normal enough for you? So I I think instead of maybe the jazz age president, he is like the uh, epitome of American normalcy. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Chelsea, but I think one of the other things that happens out of World War One is that 
the like the old order yeah. loses yeah. credibility. That that all that all these people like and again like I'm gonna go back to Teddy Roosevelt. If Teddy Roosevelt ran for president in 1920, he would have lost. He would gotten like 15. percent He would have been because because nothing that he believed in. People believed in it in, in, in 1920. People were like, yeah, all that stuff about American muscularity and, and you know, ultra-nationalism was just so passe at that point. And it's like, no, we don't, we don't care. We just want to go do our own thing. And here's the guy who lets us do it because he's the guy who stands for nothing. Yep. <laughs> that, yeah. So I, think we're t- I think we're speaking the mm-hmm. same Warren G. Yeah. Harding language here, James, but maybe from different corners. Nonetheless, sure. James, I cannot think of a better possible epitaph for Warren G. Harding than the man who stands for nothing. And the other thing Harding did was he spoke in nice, saleable platitudes. I'll bring a return to normalcy. To a word he made up. America. A word mm-hmm. he made up. Oh, really? <laughs> Not a oh, word yeah. in the English language before Warren Harding. It was, it was supposed to be normality, but he. Yes. Was this it really? guy sounds more yes. and more like you, George you W. Know, Bush. I think uh, Harding oh won God. that one, though. Norma- the Shakespeare of the Midwest. Nobody I'm, says words. I think there's a lot of comparison here with George W. Bush. He's dumb. Oh, he's yes. likable. He's just here to hang out and party. And he's inventing yes. words left and right that then people just have to deal with. <laughs> um, this, is, this is perfect. He is not unlike Bush. He was not sober. And I don't think ever got that way. He, give... he also had much nicer eyebrows than Bush ever did. I'll give you that. Um, I will say one of my favorite parts about Warren G. Harding is when I was going to the World Wide Web uh, to uh, refresh my Warren Harding knowledge. He's the only president that I found that the third thing that came up was here is a list of scandals. And it was literally just a list of scandals. I'm like, I, think I like even, that this is the article. I think even among the Ohio presidents, he has the most scandals. And I think even like if you were to compare him to Clinton and Kennedy, he has the most extramarital affairs in office. Or at least the most interesting ones. Also, just reading about his early life and his many, many different jobs that he did, right? Like insurance salesman, newspaper maker, I don't, newspaper man, there we go. Publisher. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, just like businessman, he really strikes me as being like some kind of huckster. And it never, it, it, I didn't really know that about him, but it's a very on brand and I like it. Hmm. Um... Well, let's talk about the, the scandals. And we, there are two of them, one political, one personal. Uh, I uh, don't know. I found a list and there yeah, were five there's, scandals. There's oh. more than that. That's, that's, yeah. we, that's why I, mean, I was excited. I know excited. which one you're going like, to talk, but oh, uh, there was... Talk about okay, let's empire. list... Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's list them for our audience so they have a little bit of organization and they can do their own digging because we certainly did when we produced the show in 2017 and boy, did we have fun. <laughs> Most oh, famously, there so we're was gonna listen. Okay, S- scandal number one: Teapot Dome. Duh. Scandal number two: The Veterans Bureau scandal, mm-hmm. which I did not know about. I yeah, yeah. I knew about that one. Yeah. Well, uh, oh no, I didn't know about number four. Sorry, I did know about this one. Okay, scandal number three: Corruption in the Justice Department. Scandal number scandal number four: Inflated construction and land costs for U.S. veterans' hospitals. That's the one I did not know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, scandal number five: Extramarital affairs. Did we mention, by the way, the figure Jess W. Smith, who represents mm-hmm. sort of a scandal? He's the he's the bagman for the Ohio gang. He basically. Uh, Anytime there's bribes, it passes directly through him. And anytime alcohol enters the White House, it comes in in his briefcase. This <laughs> uh, was this... Harry Doherty's boy toy, was he not? Yes, yes he, he was. And he after falls some under verbal... scandal number three. Fair. After some verbal abuse, he mysteriously committed suicide and his body was immediately removed before an autopsy. So you tell me what happened. Hmm. It is his death is weirdly depicted in the HBO series Boardwalk Empire, but I would not say accurately in any way. Uh, 
but you get a great uh, Stephen Root performance. So you know, <laughs> your options there. That's really all I want. That's true. You never had too much Stephen Root. Okay, so you had all of these various, and, and we can, well, which of the five are more, the most interesting and which of the five are the most consequential? Okay, the one that's the most interesting to me, uh, and that's because I didn't really know about it, but it's so fascinating, is this inflated construction and land costs for U.S. veteran hospitals. Some, and it says some costs were inflated up to 30% per bed. And this Whoa. is right after we're coming out of World War One, right? So we have a lot of veterans who are dealing with a lot of long-term health issues, um, right? This is the very beginnings of shell shock um, and, right, those kinds of um, also like recurring mental issues or emotional issues. And that, and to me, that that this scandal is not necessarily talked about that much or um, discussed boggles my mind um yeah it's really interesting I, we made out with a lot of cash you, you, you said 30 percent uh figure i'm looking at here is uh they cost they up the costs by three thousand to four thousand dollars per bed mm. and that's you know 1930 bu- bucks imagine 1920 sorry paul go ahead oh, i was just saying imagine if they'd spent any of the money that they overpaid on hospital equipment on actual veterans pensions <laughs> and my great-grandfather would have had an easier time providing for his family in the depression mm-hmm. mm. the va isn't about helping veterans it's about placing bureaucratic obstructions in their way yeah it's about denying agent orange related diseases <laughs> Yeah, I do think we need to, to get into more detail about Teapot Dome. A lot of people like teapot know that dome. name. I, lo- I like that because it's a very silly sounding scandal. Yes, thank well, you, Well, it's also, it does, for me at least, it represents sort of a high point in um, the stupidity of people pulling off the scandal. Like, well, let's describe it. What happened? What is it? What, what, what happened? Me? Um, uh, whoever. So, James, yeah. Chelsea, <laughs> All right, so there, Anyone. there was, as has been discussed earlier in the program, there was various pieces of land where there was, you know, strongly to believe to be oil under the land, oil that hadn't been drilled for yet, uh, at least not beyond a kind of exploratory way. Okay, so and far it's the script to there will be blood, but continue. <laughs> that land. <laughs> then had been acquired by the Department of the Navy as kind of a strategic reserve for future oiling of ships, as uh, ships at this point, uh, at least warships, were being powered by oil rather than coal. Oil was seen to be kind of the strategic resource of the future, and the Navy wanted to make sure that they were not going to be caught without sufficient oil. And Um, Teapot Dome was in Wyoming? Yes, near Casper. As, as one would, would think of when you immediately think of the Department of the Navy. Continue, James. Right. And and, and that is kind of what, what makes this kind of like a bizarre story. It's like, wait, what's the Navy doing in Wyoming? But well, they were there and, and they had their, their uh, oil field or their potential oil field. And then there was kind of this transfer of the uh, management of that field to the Department of the Interior which was kind of a facilitation for this um, Albert Fall gentleman. Uh, Albert Bacon Fall, which I think is an important detail for everyone to know. That his middle <laughs> name is Bacon. Uh, um, to basically do a no-bid sale of that land to Sinclair Oil. And then after that happened, Albert Fall was then, I think, generously uh, received some generous gifts from the the good folks at Sinclair, and this is the, kind of the, the figure I saw was three hundred thousand dollars. Oh, I right. saw four. 20, 21 yeah. money. Yes, which is like real so, money. So this is what I think to me was like one of the most interesting things about this. What Fall did in in allowing them that no bid contract was legal. What they caught him on was taking that cash payment later. That's illegal. It was in the form of a personal loan. But here's why I think it represents a high point in stupidity. He had a ranch in New Mexico 
he had not paid taxes on in 15 years. He suddenly, and without explanation, paid them off in full. And the IRS thought, something's odd about this situation. I don't know what, but let's look into it. This is when the IRS was not so understaffed and was not uh, six, billion, six million returns behind as they are yeah. in 2022. Yeah, so they... They did, you know, they did investigate. What's weird is he almost got away with it a couple of different times. And then finally in trial, that person alone came out. What I also think is kind of great about this is he's convicted for taking a bribe, but Edward Doney and Harry Sinclair are acquitted of making a bribe. So no one made a bribe, but someone did take one. Although Sinclair was uh, convicted of contempt of court for jury tampering in his trial, so. Oh, I didn't know Clarence Darrow was his lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> uh and and uh, yeah albert albert bacon fall uh was actually the first cabinet member to have ever been arrested for corruption yeah he did time uh corruption uh, committed while he was in office okay i'll just sh- t- share this little story and then i'll be quiet for a while the original the man who had first been slated secretary of the interior a man named Jake Heyman, an Oklahoma, uh, Kansas-educated, Oklahoma-born, Oklahoma, me, Oklahoma-dwelling and drilling oil man. He knew uh, how much oil was under the Navy land, so he financed uh, Harding's campaign, hoping to become Secretary of the Interior. But uh, old Jake had one had a similar problem with women. He was separated from his wife so he could uh, hobnob freely with his much younger mistress, Clara. But when Florence Harding got wind that this other philanderer was going to be joining the Harding cabinet, she put the kibosh on that. She said, (laughs) you come to Washington with your wife, not your mistress. So Jake... Oh, the irony. (laughs) Exactly. So Jake told Clara... Um, you're at, I'm sorry, I cannot, you cannot be my concert anymore. Here's $5,000, go to Mexico. Clara killed him. Okay, good. There we go. Um, would you like to Why is that not a movie? (laughs) It almost was. Which leads to the fun, salacious scandals that we... Uh, which those of you know when we did the show in 2017 we jumped at because we didn't know this much at the time again talking about reassessment and that was this the 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 affairs so the two that we were aware of at least in the uh during his uh time in the white house and the occasional uh, hooker see joe i thought you were going to talk about the teapot dome as the most salacious of all the scandals <laughs> Well, we weren't able to do puppets for the Teapot Dome, as you know, Patrick. We were, however, able to do puppets in relation to some of the uh, fun details of some of the letters that were exchanged between his uh, two of his mistresses, both both of whom were much younger than he was, and he was oh, disturbingly so. Who was, uh, other than Nan Britton, who was the other? Carrie Phillips. Yeah. Now, Carrie's... Carrie Phillips. Carrie... Unlike Nan, was married, and her husband got wind of the affair, threatened to make it public, until the RNC, under the directorship of future film czar Will Hayes, <laughs> offered to send Mr. James and Carrie Phillips on a worldwide tour and pay them $2,000 per month for all the time that Warren G. Harding was in office. Did Florence know, or was she uh, kept out of uh, the loop, or did she turn a blind eye? Florence, I believe Florence had some political ambition. I believe Florence considered herself a public figure, and she was yet another person who really enjoyed telling Warren Harding what to do, so she would not let him, you know, she refused to let him smoke in front of a camera. She's would order him to get back to work if he was drinking or playing bridge after all afternoon. So I think she was pretty savvy about her husband's 
proclivities. She didn't, you know. So I would say she was, um, without the law degree, she was kind of the Hillary of her day. There's another bombshell I'm throwing out there that everyone else can debate. <laughs> but uh, she knew what she was getting in Warren, and she decided it was worth it. So as much fun as Harding, you know, as much fun as the affairs were, I really do think they had some political significance. Wake up, Sylvia. <laughs> I do think they had some political significance in that they sp spurred the development of the machine, you know, part the scandal repressing, repressing machine of the Republican Party and probably of all, you know, all major political parties and political campaigns behind because Everyone on the inside knew uh, knew that Warren couldn't keep his pants on and worked and paid and planted stories and to hot, you know, and hired actual, you know, bodyguard details to keep him out of trouble. So I don't know if any president had required eruptions. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if any other president needed that kind of, you know, before Harding needed that kind of spin doctoring and suppression of bimbo eruptions so paul would you say that his security detail was to prevent him from receiving secret service <laughs> i think that's a beautiful way to put it yes <laughs> yeah, <Tommy. laughs> I'm gonna, you know what i'm that's just gonna lean it. back that's the best that's i'm gonna it. do <laughs> thanks everybody Good night. Uh, and, and Lauren, look who's come all the way from Los Angeles to see you. Oh, why, if I'm not mistaken, it's Will Hayes, humble postmaster general turned Hollywood big shot. Aw, oh, heck, hobnobbing with those movie moguls ain't changed me. I'm still the same humble Hoosier who ran the Republican Party. When I heard my buddy Warren G. Harding was laid up in a San Francisco hotel, I told Mackie Senate them naked pictures of Mabel Norman would have to wait. I gotta pay a call. Oh, Will, I was sad when you resigned, but so elated to learn that you are going to give those filthy, depraved Hollywood pagans a shot of good Christian Republican morality. Yep, old Wallace Reed could have used a shot of morality instead of them drugs what killed him. I miss those cabinet meetings, though. Has Cal Coolidge learned how to talk yet? Still as silent as those movies you're cleaning up. Uh, Florence, dear? We'll be leaving for Alaska as soon as I'm back on my feet. Uh, aren't you be shopping for the trip? No need, Warren. Your supporters have already been so generous. See my coat, Will? It was from one of Warren's friends in the oil business. It's genuine seal skin. Doggone. It's so new I can still see the club marks. Still, Duchess. Mayhaps you could let Will and me catch up while you search Union Square for something to complement that lovely seal coat. A harpoon, perhaps. Oh, oh, Warren, you're incorrigible. Lovely seeing you, Will. Tell Charlie Chaplin I think he's as cute as a button. You boys have fun chewing the fat. I've been chewing that fat for 30 years. That duchess of yours has always been a character. She, if only she was a character. The victim in a murder mystery. What do you want, Hayes? Dang, Warren. You mean you don't believe that I'm paying respects to an old pal? No more than I can believe this aw shucks routine from the bag man who shook down half the millionaires in America to finance my campaign. The Hayseed Act might fool those rubes down in Hollywood, but don't you ever forget, I'm from Ohio. Jeepers creepers, Warren. Have you forgotten them rich fellas are your friends too? And some of our good buddies in the oil game have decided you've already done a darn good job as president and don't have to bother running next year. What? They think there's a better candidate? I beat Cox in a historic landslide. I won by 16 million votes. And that's the heck of it, Warren. Every one of them votes cost the GOP at least a dollar, and we're still paying off the debt. 
kind of silly for the party of fiscal responsibility to be shelling out $2,000 a year for one of your mistresses and her mister to keep their trap shut until you're out of office. $2,000? Oh, that's chicken feed to the oil barons. Harry Sinclair loses $2,000 playing bridge every day. Yeah, funny you should mention, old Cinco. Ever since that Albert Fall guy handed over them Wyoming oil fields to him and that Ned Doheny feller, it's Cinco who says you've earned yourself one comfy retirement. Why, he's prepared to finance the purchase of that hometown newspaper of yours. That Marion Star sells for five cents a copy. I'm supposed to retire on that? Come to the picnic, Warren. When I say purchase your newspaper, I mean the whole shebang. $500,000 for a local rag with a circulation smaller than a church newsletters. <laughs> that would set you and the Duchess up right nicely for life. It appears you haven't budgeted for my thirst, Hayes. Gosh, Warren, you wouldn't be talking about that filthy, sinful, illegal bootleg liquor now, would you? Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Where do you think all that booze goes when the feds seize it from the smugglers and speakeasies? Here's a hint. A good deal of it winds up lubricating, uh, shall we say, the festivities in a nice little house in Washington where the Ohio gang and I like to blow off a little steam after a long day of restricting immigration and selling off excess VA supplies. You should drop by next time you're in D.C., Hayes. Thank you kindly, but I think I'll skip it. You know me, gotta be in bed by 10 every night. Well, Warren... You have always drove a hard bargain, so I'll make my final offer. I've used my connections in the movie studios to arrange for you to share your bed with a great big movie star. Ooh, <laughs> now we're talking. Uh, who is it? Gloria Swanson. Zadavara? Marie Prevost? Nope. Fatty Arbuckle. And I brought champagne. Ugh! <laughs> Uh, oh, I, I think he's dead, and I didn't even pop my cork. Well, son of a gun, he is. Don't worry, Fatty, no one's going to blame you for this one. Poor old Warren was from Ohio. Presidents from Ohio tend to die in office. Well, why do we keep electing presidents from Ohio? Heck if I know. And maybe we should elect more fellas from Virginia. <laughs> Oops, too soon? And they call me a comedian. The so there we go. So we had good Cal, bad Cal, likable Cal, or not Cal. What do we Warren. Say? Good Warren, Warren, bad Warren. Warren. I'm look. I'm glancing at good Warren, bad Warren, corrupt Warren, likable Warren, and ultimately dead Warren. Dead Warren died of a stroke on a tour of on a tour of the West Coast in a hotel in San Francisco. And it was very fashionable to die in a hotel in San Francisco mm -hmm. in 1922 and 1923. He'd just come from Alaska, right? He went up by way of Alaska. They hadn't, I don't believe they departed for Alaska yet. This was on the way to Alaska. Alaska. I don't know if Florence said, ah, the hell with this, I'm going to Alaska anyway. When am I going to get the chance? Paul, was that a <laughs> reference to Virginia Repay? Yes, that was an extremely tasteless reference to Virginia Repay. Well, I just wanted to chime in that was 1920. <laughs> I thought it was 21. You know what? I think you are right. But I was like, well, it's not it was, I mean, it was early 20s, okay? They didn't have Instagram, so trends lasted a little <laughs> bit longer. Did he also get his name dragged through the mud? I'm I don't not. think anyone tried to remove Warren G. Harding's uterus for display in courts. That's a shame, because he probably deserved it more than she did. Without a doubt. And uh, just as one little capstone, so to speak, on the Teapot Dome, who knows what the Teapot Dome was named after? A rock? Yep. It was a rock that it was a like rock a teapot. That, yeah, like a teapot. It was in the shape of a teapot. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. I thought that was right? a trick question, because I was going to say, <laughs> it was a teapot, right? It was named for a teapot? <laughs> I was going to say, if we ever have a <laughs> podcast store, can we please sell branded <laughs> Teapot Dome teapots? Right? Oh, I hope they do. Mm. Any Those other exist, fine. Wait, I might have something. I had two more Warren G. Harding things. One, um, I do want to acknowledge 
that he truly is the man who ended World War One for the United States because we never adopted the Woodrow Wilson's League of Nations. So he actually had to sign a separate treaty to end World War One from the United States perspective. So and also Warren Harding. You know renegotiated Germany's tariffs payments to end the downfall of the Weimar Republic, episode one. Wait, and Paul, where did, where did he sign it? On the golf course. He signed an international peace treaty while wearing golf knickers. Oh, there's where a much worse president we could compare him to, but let's not. <laughs> let's and your other, and your, your other item. Okay, the other item. Um, I came across this uh, in my reading, and it is too good. Uh, literary critic H.L. Mencken uh, described Warren G. Harding uh, at, after his inauguration. He writes the worst English I have ever encountered. It reminds me of a string of wet sponges. <laughs> All right. It reminds me of stale bean soup. <laughs> of dogs barking idiotically through endless nights. <laughs> America's present need is not heroics, but healing. Not nostrums, but normalcy. The world needs to be reminded that all human ills are not curable by legislation. Deregulators! Break it down. It was a brand new era, 1921. Warren G was on the scene, trying to have some fun. Limiting the government, stacking up my wealth. First president to drive, cruising by myself. I just hit the mean streets of Washington, D.C. On a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Harding proudly kicking back with the Ohio gang. That's when I see your secretary, he was trying to bang. So I hooked a left on 16 and K Street. I stuffed the Fed with yes men for the kickbacks they pay me. I hopped out the car by the little greenhouse. That's when I saw Albert fall they were hauling him out but since this girl needs a ride i pull up to the curb she says thank you mr coolidge i don't say a word i'm not one for small talk there ain't nothing in it i see my homemade taking inquiries from the senate my cronies going down for their indiscretion i can't believe i have to learn a lesson if i gave all my friends pardons then congress would see me i glance up in the cut and i see my vp chamber revolver cap and ball calvin coolidge making sure the government stays small now they're bracing for the crash it's a tad bit late silent Callan. Warren G had to deregulate. This republic has its ample task. If we put an end to false economics which lure humanity to utter chaos, ours will be the commanding example of world leadership today. I let those shots ring out, no interruption Then I'm back to investigating all this corruption Albert Fall acted like a clown And now the IRS gonna take him down Now Fall is selling oil rights, there's no way to stop it And you know my boy is trying to line his pockets Back up, back up, cause it's on B-R-I-B-E and me, the warrant to the G Just like I thought Fall was selling the rights To the oil in the teapot door The lease is all illegal But they caught him taking personal loans Harry Sinclair and Ed Dorn, he got acquitted for making bribes. But Albert Fall went to jail and lost his ranch because he let them ride. We got a cabin in the Buckeyes and they're singing along. The next stop is the 30s. What could go wrong? Excessive government offers no substitute for quality of citizenship. The problems of maintained civilization are not to be solved by a transfer of responsibility from citizenship to government. And no eminent page in history was ever drafted by the standards of mediocrity. I'm tweaking into a new jazz era. Defraud the American public? I dare ya. Booze is illegal. The country is at sea. But it sounds real cool in the book Great Gatsby. Lappers. Jazz. Prohibition. The Klan. The White House, where rhythm is love, and love gets you pregnant in a closet. If you know what I know, then you better keep your big mouth shut. It's the progressive era, business does whatever it wants. And if you talk like I talk, then you're silent every day. If laissez-faire does not work out, FDR will have to regulate. Both our good fortune and our eminence are dependent on the normal forward stride of all the American people. We want to go on, secure and unafraid. 
holding fast to the American inheritance and confident of the supreme American fulfillment. Word. We finish in silence, ironically, as we now move on to Silent Cal Coolidge next. DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written, produced, and performed by Gina Bucola, Sandy Bykowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joy, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production by Joseph Fedorko. Sound effects procured at freesound.org. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.org, the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the Electables, visit DB Comedy's host page on simplecast.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy or Democracy Burlesque. Join us on the Trident Network. And listen to us on World Perspectives Radio Chicago on TuneIn.com and Hard Lens Media. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to like.